0: and you uh, put in, you know, where you want to arrive at, your heart has your arrival written on it. And you will listen to the voice of your heart, whether you realize it or not, and you will eventually arrive to that destination that you have written on your heart. Now, here's the problem. Many of us are going somewhere we don't want to go. We have put our end destination as somewhere we don't want to be. Now, it's going to get quiet in here this morning because it's going to make you think. Because here's the thing. Again, guys, I've told you this so many times this year. I can can confront you with the truth and and in a way force you to admit you're wrong about something. But I can't force you to deal with your heart because that is something that can only take place between you and God in, in a relationship with Him. So, I've shared with you guys, I've preached on it so many times, the revelation, thank God for the revelation of grace, thank God for the revelation of the new covenant, but the revelation that truly changed my life was the revelation of spirit, soul, and body. Because for me, spirit, soul, and body made so much sense of how I can be saved, how I'm being saved, and how I will be saved. It, It brought all of that together, but when I would teach spirit, soul, and body, I, would really focus, I went through a season where I really focused on the Spirit and who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. But there's a problem with that. This verse does not say the born-again Spirit determines the course of your life. If it did, every born-again person in here would be getting the same results and living the same quality of life. Why? Because every one of us in our spirit, if we're born again, we are one with Christ. We are holy, we are righteous, we are sanctified. We have everything that we need for life and godliness in our born-again spirit. But it's not the spirit that is determining the course of your life. Well, then I, I began to realize that, and then I went through a season where I really focused on the soul. The soul is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. Um, I went through, it's, you could say it's your conscience. It's, I went through a season where I really focused on those things. But again, there's a problem. It does not say that the soul determines the course of your life. And thank God for that, because a lot of us are like that. And, I, and our soul, a lot of us are just like that. And so thank God that it's not our soul that will determine the quality of our life. And listen, that's great. You know, you're having a born-again spirit. It sets the, the, your, your eternal destination. Praise God for that. It sets your identity your, your true identity, who you are in Christ, thank God for the salvation of your soul. It'll give you a stable life. If you're living on a roller coaster, you can get off by just, man, working on the soul, working on your mind, working on your will, working on your emotions. But it specifically says here in Proverbs 4, 23, it specifically says what determines the course of your life. What, what is it? The heart. So the heart determines the course of our life. Not not our spirit, not our soul, and definitely not our body. Alright? Praise God for that. Yes, amen. But it specifically says the heart. So when I'm I'm going through this, I know what my spirit is. I know what my soul is. I know what my body is. And then I read Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. And there's so many things where the scripture talks about the heart. So eventually, being the genius I am, I think, well, what in the world is my heart? Right? Because everyone I'd hear teach on is like, well, we're not talking about that organ, you know, right here. Now, I don't want to get this deep, but it could very well be this organ. But we're not going to get to that. Did you know that there are people who have had heart transplants and they have memories of, from the person who they got that heart transplant from? And the Bible talks about the deep thoughts of the heart. Maybe, just maybe, it is the, the organ. But we don't need to concern ourselves with that. Um, y'all are going to have to pray for me because I can get off on a rabbit trail on this stuff. I'm about to give you like eight years of, of study in, in an hour. So, but listen to me here. So what is your heart? And what God gave me, now I could get into the details of what the heart is. I, I could, but it really doesn't matter. I shared this, this illustration with Logan yesterday. When I began to drive as a teenager, my grandfather did not take me outside, pop the hood, and say, all right, now before I let you drive this thing, you've got to know what each one of these do. Everything in this, everything in this vehicle... Before I let you behind the steering wheel, you've got to learn how everything works under the hood. He didn't do that. What did he do? Get in the car. All right. Start it. Check. All right. Put it in reverse. Drive, whatever. Check. Check your blind spots. Check. You know, all these things. It doesn't matter what the heart is as much as the mechanics of the heart doesn't matter as much as its function. All right, do you understand that? Now, thank God for, for, for its mechanics. If it was, how many knows if it wasn't for mechanics of a car, none of us probably would have been able to drive here this morning. Somebody's got to know how to fix these things. But for the majority of us, we have no clue. Man, I pop the hood of, one of you know our vehicle sometime, and I'm like, okay, honey, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. Just close it. Just call somebody. You know, like I don't know what to tell you. I'm sitting there on YouTube and that guy's making no sense and it's just, uh, listen, I just know it's going round, 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 that's all I know, alright, that's all I know. So the, the, the mechanics of the heart doesn't matter as much as its function, Here, here's what I'm getting at, you intuitively know what your heart is, without me telling you, you know what your heart is, how do I know? Because you will say things like, I love you with all of my heart. We all have had moments in our lives where we have said, that broke my heart. I believe that with all of my heart. And then, I don't know if you're from Appalachia, We you say, that just did my heart good. You know. So, so, we know what our heart is. Intuitively, we know what our heart is is and jesus and i've shared this with you guys before and i don't want to get on this right now but jesus he was a minister of the heart jesus what his primary ministry was dealing with the hearts of people and we went around and saying jesus was always talking about old covenant new covenant law and grace no he wasn't he was going around dealing with individuals and saying here's the problems with your heart how do I, you know, like for example, I've told you about the rich young ruler. I've shared this with you guys before. The rich young ruler comes up and he says, listen, I've kept all these commandments. What else do I have the, you know, uh, left to do? And Jesus says, well, go sell all that you have and, you know, then you'll, you know, then you'll, you'll be saved or however he says it. And we come along and we're like, see, he was, he was pointing back to the law. No, he wasn't. He pointed out the one commandment that he knew that guy was guilty of. He was dealing with his heart. He wasn't dealing with covenants. He was dealing with that young man's heart. So, and let me say this. Over the years, my understanding of grace has evolved, as you all know that. And one of the areas where my understanding has evolved is concerning the heart. Because, and here's where this is going to get a little, uh, little tough. Early on, when it comes to the grace message, I was taught... That when you were born again, you were giving a perfect heart. Now there's one problem with that. The New Testament nowhere says you have a perfect heart. It says you have a new heart. Well, what's the difference? How I many knows if I go buy a new car, I can. It's not. It can get to the place where that thing's old, right? So, but listen to me. Go with me to Hebrews chapter twenty. Uh, There ain't no Hebrews chapter 20. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22 through 23. And listen, just hold on. I'm going somewhere with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. So we're talking about the idea that some some that teach grace say you have a perfect heart. Well, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come. Now, is that present tense or future tense? That's right now. You have come, you are in Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. See, your spirit is perfect. Your spirit, the moment you were born again, it needed no improvement. When you get to heaven, your spirit will not have improved any since the day and the moment you were born again. Your spirit is perfect. All right? Now, go with me to Ezekiel chapter uh, 36 and verse 26. Now, part of what throws us off about the heart and the spirit is for years people have taught that your heart and your spirit are the same thing. That was a com- that's a common word of faith teaching. That's not correct. How do I know? Because in the New Testament, it talks about the heart and the spirit a lot. The Greek word for spirit is always pneuma. The Greek word for heart is always cardio, which is where we get cardiac and things like that. So they are two different things. But look here, Ezekiel 36 verse 26. So God is prophesying of the new covenant here, and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. So, notice he doesn't say, I'll give you a perfect heart. He's giving you a new and a perfect spirit, but only a new heart. It's not perfect. Well, what does that mean? What's the difference in new and perfect? It tells you here what a new heart is. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, when I read, first read this, I thought, this is... It sounds about like you just said the same thing. <laughs> you just said, You're going to give me a heart of flesh. You're going to take out the heart of flesh and give me another heart of flesh. But that's not what he's saying here. Look here. He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The, the um, New Living Translation really brings forth what this is referring to. Because think about this stone does not change form. Think about it. You can sit there and throw a rock on the ground, a stone on the ground all you want to. You are not going to soften it up or harden it. You can break it. You can do all these things, but you're not going to change its form. But now flesh, Adam, Drew, these guys that play the instrument, they can tell you that there was probably a time in their lives when their fingers were soft. And it probably really hurt to play the guitar, Right? But the more you do it, what happens? That skin becomes callous. It becomes hard. See, flesh is pliable. Stone is not. Alright? Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six tells us what it means to have a new heart. In the New Living Translation, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. So notice here, your old heart is stony and stubborn. And your, your new heart is tender and responsive. So here's what happened at the new birth. You weren't given a perfect heart, but you were given a heart that was now responsive and tender and sensitive to God. That's why after you were born again, suddenly sin wasn't as fun no more. And suddenly you could, you know, if you got saved on this day, the sin you did yesterday didn't bother it, it it didn't bother you as bad as committing that same sin the next day after being born again. Why? Because you were given a new heart that was now tender and sensitive and responsive to God. Does that make sense? All right. Now, look here. I want to show you something. I want to show you what the Bible says about the heart. So you've been given a new heart, a heart that is responsive to God, that's sensitive to God, that's tender to God. But I want to show you some things. Look with me at Romans 1, 21. Now, I'm going to move really, really fast through these, so you might not have time to turn there. Uh, So, Romans, is this the Old Testament or is this the New Testament? All right. Because, good job, you guys are reading your Bibles. That's good. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish ideas, uh, foolish hearts, excuse me, were darkened. So look here. How does it describe the heart? It described the heart as being, um, as being darkened. I think that's the King James Version. The King James Version says they became darkened in their hearts. So your heart can be darkened. Now let me show you another one. Ephesians 1.18 If Paul prays, he says, that the eyes of your heart, in the English Standard Version, would be enlightened. So your heart can either be darkened or it can be enlightened. Do you see that? All right, now here's the thing. It's not up to God. Because it says their foolish hearts were, they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they did this. All right? Now look here, look at another one. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your heart be what? Troubled. So your heart can be troubled. Or, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. It ain't going to do y'all no good to try and turn to these. Uh, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So notice, your heart can be troubled or it can be at peace. And I'm going to show you This is one of the biggest words in the Bible. You ready for this? Let. Because that implies you choose. All right, Let. And then Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Which tells me what? You have a choice. You have a choice. Look at another one. Romans, you don't have to to turn there. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It says, for with the heart man does what? believes unto righteousness. Alright? So your heart can do what? Your heart can believe. But now look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Beware brethren lest there... Now look, who's this to? What's that second word? Brethren. Unbelievers aren't the brethren. So beware brethren lest there be in any of you, any of who? The brethren. An evil heart, right there, that's that was that's hard for us to get through our great brains, right? An evil heart of what? Of unbelief. And what happens if you do that? You'll depart from the living God. So here's what I'm getting at. There's a lot I can say there, but I'm not going to get on it. Your heart, according to Romans 10, can believe. Or according to Hebrews 3, your heart can be in unbelief. Beware lest there be any... Guess what? You choose. Alright? You choose. Another one. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. So your heart can be what? Sick. Alright? Look at Psalm 147 and verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. So your heart can be sick or it can be healed. Alright, one more. I know, I'm going fast. One more. This Now, this is the one. This is the reason. Right here is the reason I took up the offering first. Alright, Acts chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Now, there's a lot I could say about Ananias and Sapphira, but what I'm actually going to do this morning, and I've taught you guys what I believe about this, but I believe that we should be honest and I believe that we should be honest and say, listen, it doesn't say this, but this is what I think. All right? Well, this morning, I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm just going to tell you that it doesn't say whether or not Ananias and Sapphira were believers or unbelievers. It gives the hint that they were. They were at least walking with other believers, they were at least giving the impression that they were in the church. But let me, let's, I know you're already mad. Let's go. Uh, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, verse 2. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostle's feet. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, hear me out. He seems to be indicating this man could hear from the Holy Spirit. But, even though he could hear from the Holy Spirit, which would seem to indicate a born-again spirit, Satan had filled his heart. I thought that would go over about like that. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Now let me show you another one. Now Paul here is praying, I taught on this two weeks ago, I taught on this prayer. Paul is praying that you would be rooted and grounded in love. But So he's talking to believers here. We can debate about Ananias and Sapphira, I don't care about that. But look here, that Christ, what's that word right there? That Christ what? Made well. Now, I'm from the mountains, I'm blinding you all, sorry. I'm from the mountains and we didn't use that word. Okay, we didn't even make it. But, that seems to indicate if He may dwell, then it's possible that He may not dwell. Anybody in here? Come on now. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. But, see, here's the problem. Many of us got saved, and it's okay. Many of us got saved by saying, invite Jesus into your heart." It's fine if you did. That is That is what you're doing. You are inviting Him into your heart. But don't assume that, that that's, that's not what regeneration is. You're given a new heart, but regeneration is when, man, God does come to live on the inside of you. Christ dwells within you. But now here He says that it is possible. So we see in Acts 5, it is possible for either Satan to fill your heart or it's possible for Christ to dwell in your heart. Now... It never says that anyone... I'm not talking about anybody losing their salvation. I'm not talking about anyone forfeiting their salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. What does it mean dwell in your heart? What does it mean Satan had filled his heart? Think about this. It didn't mean he was all of a sudden this, this evil guy. What did it means? Satan came along. The Holy Spirit told him to do one thing. But Satan came along and said, but if you keep some of it, you can actually get a... Sell your house. The Holy Spirit had said, sell your house, give everything to God. But Satan comes along and says, yeah, sell your house. But keep about 30% of it. See, so it wasn't necessarily that he was all of a sudden evil, but it was that now Satan was what? Influencing him. And he was more responsive to what Satan was telling him to do than what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do. Do you see that? So listen to this. Your heart can be darkened or enlightened, troubled or at peace, believing or unbelieving, sick or healed, filled by Satan or filled by Christ. Now again, don't think when I'm saying filled by Satan, remember we're talking about the heart. This is is just one element of you. But let me get to this. You know how the body has five senses, right? Um, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. Well, there's also, this is the best way I can explain to really get you to understand what your heart is. Just like your body has five senses, your soul and your spirit and your heart also has senses, so to speak. Maybe that's not the right word, but I'm going to use it. Your body has seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. Now, your soul which we call your mind your will and emotions is your thinking it's your deciding it's your willing it's your feeling it's your emoting right so that, that's that's the senses of your soul your spirit now listen to this your spirit is your being what do i mean by that well for one James chapter 2 verse 26 says for as the body without the spirit is what dead Right? So your spirit is actually your life. It is your very life. But your spirit is also your true identity. You can be a good, great, moral person, but if you've not been born again, you have a dead spirit. Which means that, that it doesn't mean you're this, this awful, evil person, but it means your spirit is alive to sin and dead to God. All right? So, But when you're born again, now all of a sudden you're one with God, you're holy, you're sanctified, you're righteous, you're set apart, you're perfect. You're, all of these things we could go on and on about, that is who you really are. That is your true identity before God. That's how God sees you. Whether you see yourself or not like that, that is how God sees you. Alright, so your, your spirit is your being. So what's your heart? Listen to me. Your heart is your believing. Your heart is your belief system. Don't just think doctrine and a dogma and a creed that you agree to. It's how you see yourself. See, in your spirit is your true identity, but in your heart is your believed identity. You live out of your believed identity, not always your true identity, unless your believed identity is lined up with your true identity. I told you it's going to be deep. So, your, and listen, your heart works as a default setting in your life. You, how do I, you want, you want me to take, Jesus comes along and Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, Jesus said, listen, you, you, it doesn't matter what you claim to believe. When trouble comes and you begin to speak, that's your heart speaking. Many of us know that far too well. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. And then some of us men, I'm just going to pick on us. We get the code. My wife will attest to this. I'm, like, I'm dying. This is it, honey. I'm dying. She knows. But, but listen to me. Your heart is your default setting. If you want to know what's in your heart, how do you respond to pressure? How do you respond to trouble? How do you respond to trials? When people call you things, do you believe them? Or does something rise up in your heart and say, that's not who I am? Your default setting is your heart. It doesn't matter. You know what I have learned? Because remember, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is what I have learned. If When people come up to me and they share their troubles with me, and now you all are going to be so conscious of this when you share it with me. So it's kind of a, it's probably a good thing I'm sharing this.
1: But um, this is
0: what I found people do. I, I've learned this. If I will just listen, if I will let people talk long enough, and if I will just listen, I will hear what's in their heart. We, we were at a conference years ago, and I was hearing a minister, and there was nothing he was saying that was wrong. But the Spirit of God spoke up to me and said, you can hear deception before you actually hear deception. What, what, what do you mean by that? If you'll let somebody talk long enough, you'll begin to hear the deception in their heart. And it'll come long before they're finally teaching and preaching deceiving things. See, just, so just, man, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going, hold on, I'm going to slow down. Slow down, Grant, slow down. So here's the thing. The condition of your heart will determine, according to Proverbs 23, it will determine how much of the will of God you experience in your life. Do you realize the will of God does not come to pass automatically? I'll give you a scriptural example. He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to life, come to repentance, right? But we know all through Scripture, and we'd have to deny an abundance of Scripture to believe that all will be saved. The Scripture is clear. There are people who reject Him now, and one day they'll reject Him to His face. Now, I know it says every knee will bow, but I'm telling you, there's people who will reject Him to His face. They did when He walked the earth. And I'm not so convinced that they didn't know who he was. Because Jesus told a parable, and he said, he's he's talking about the wicked servants, and he said they knew that this was his son. And they said, let's let's kill him so that we can have the kingdom. So, So the will of God doesn't automatically come to pass. And just like we choose whether or not to perish, we choose whether or not we are going to experience God's promises in our life. See, grace people, we have to get this in our heart. The work is finished. Amen? The work is finished. It is not automatic. We've got to stop thinking finished work equals automatic work. That is not the case. Now, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 10, but let's go ahead and go to Psalm 78 verse 5. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, the journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land is a shadow of the life of the new covenant believer and your walk with God. Egypt is a type of the world, and just like Israel came out of Egypt, when you were born again you came out of the world. Alright? But you're on your way to the promised land. Now, the promised land is not heaven. How do I know? Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. The author of Hebrews very clearly taught that this promised land was a rest that you enter into. And he said, let's beware lest any of us seem to fall short of entering into that rest. All right? So it's where you're actually living in all the benefits and experiencing the promises of the finished work of Jesus. That is the the New Covenant, promised land. Jeremiah did a whole series on that back in the summer. Um, But look here, so this is Psalm 78. And Psalm 78 is actually a history lesson of what I just talked about, the journey out of Egypt into the promised land. It says, For he established a testimony in Jacob, And appointed a law in Israel which he commanded their fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now look here. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Now remember What's our old heart? It was stubborn. Alright, but look here. A generation that, so the rebellious, the stubborn generation, what, what, where did they go wrong? He tells you here. A generation that did not set its heart aright. In other words, because they didn't guard their heart, they died in the journey. God said, I've already given you the land. You just got to take it. Think about this. Here they are. They see God do all this stuff in Egypt. And then just a few days later, the moment their belly growls, what would you do? Bring us out here to die? You going to feed us or not? Frogs, mosquitoes, yeah, it's all cool. You want us to die? We're hungry. What was the problem? See, we keep thinking, with our charismatic contradictions, we keep thinking that if we'll just show people miracles, if we'll just show them signs, if we'll just show them wonders, if we'll just show them healings, then they'll see, then they'll believe, then they'll know, not if they don't set their heart aright. Can I tell you something? My personal experience, I've seen some awesome miracles and then I found myself weeks later, like, did I really see that? Maybe they just told me what I wanted to hear. And I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs who were told you have days to live. I've seen that in Colorado. I had a lady that had cancer of the spine. Doctors sent her home. And she came to a service and she took off running. Like i seen her. She was healed. She hadn't walked in years. And then I found myself, because I was dealing with a lot of grief at the time, like, did I really see that? Maybe she just faked it. How do you fake getting up out of a wheelchair? Right? So, so listen to me. Here, here's what I'm getting at. If your heart isn't right, miracles, signs, wonders, healings, all these things will not... It, it's like a band-aid. That's not the healing. That is not the antidote to unbelief. Let's quit thinking that. Is it a testimony to the goodness of God? Absolutely. Am I saying we shouldn't... Uh, you know. Pursue those. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying the issue ultimately is the heart. And you will always come back to your default setting. This is why. Did you know there is studies that suggest that people experience their most trials, tribulation, and especially sickness at the time of their greatest opportunities? Do you know why? It's your heart. See, because, and I've been here. My wife, I've told my wife this. There was a season in my life I had some awesome opportunity. Things were lining up. But I sabotaged it all. Do you know how? Because in my heart I still seem, I'm just that little boy from the mountains. Come on now. (laughs) And so I sabotaged that moment. And I didn't get into guilt, I didn't get into condemnation once i seen it. See, Abraham, the author of Hebrews talking about uh, Abraham, he said, if Abraham and Sarah would have thought about where they came from, then they would have had opportunity to go back. Now again, I'm not a genius, but that seems to indicate to me that the reason they never had opportunity to go back was because they didn't go back there in their heart. They didn't look back. So they set their heart alright. Now this is why early on, so remember, when the, the moment you get born again, this is why those days and weeks and months afterwards, you are so sensitive to God. But how many of us experienced or have known someone, they, they get it, they get on fire for God, but then months down the road, suddenly they're right back to doing what they were doing. Now, religion would come along and say, well, it's because they didn't get saved. They just faked it till they made it, right? And they didn't make it. So, that's not it. It's that God gave them this new heart, but they went back to the same surroundings, they went back to the same people, they went back to the same experience, they went back to the same way of thinking and what begins to happen, their heart begins to become hardened. Now, this is important you hear this. Hardened heart does not mean an unsaved heart. See, I used to think hardened heart meant reprobate mind. And I used to hear that reprobate mind meant there's no chance for you. Congratulations, you've got a reprobate mind, here's your ticket to hell. That's what I thought that meant. (laughs) A reprobate mind and a hardened heart are not the same thing. All right? They are not the same thing. And see, what happens to a lot of us, though, if that was your experience, here's what happened. You, you were on fire for God. You were sensitive to God. And then because, you, you like I said, you, you expose yourself to the same people, the same experiences, the same thought patterns, then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I don't feel God like I did when I got saved. And here's what religion makes us think. Well, God must have pulled the weight. Maybe I'm not really saved. That's not what it is. It's we allowed our heart to be exposed to the same environment that hardened it in the first place. Does that make sense? All right, now listen. Here, let me give you an example. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 5. I'm going to give you an example using David. David was a man after God's own what? Heart, all right? 1 Samuel 24, 5. Now, here's the thing. So Saul is chasing David. He wants to kill him. I, I, have, a, I have a great father-in-law, but I, I, I would imagine that your father-in-law, want, you dead, is not fun. So Saul's wanting to kill him. David you know, finds him asleep. And what David does, David's like, rather than kill him, can I give you a, I'm going to give you a freebie. Um, this is a free revelation I just received. especially in ministry, so you guys in ministry hear me out, so many times we're pursuing the anointing, thinking we need more of the anointing. Saul was possessed by demons, and David still called him the anointed of the Lord. It's not the anointing you need to pursue. Okay, but so Saul, he was asleep in the cave. David's like, well, I'm not going to kill him because he's anointed. All right? But what I am going to do, and all it meant was David honored him. That's all it meant. It wasn't David seeing him as this spiritual giant. David honored him. So rather than kill him, he's like, I'm just going to cut off some of his robe, and maybe he'll have mercy on me when he sees, dude, I could have took you out. All right? But notice what happened. So David cuts his robe, and look what it says happened. Now it happened after that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe now, think about that. I cannot imagine me going up to Adam or Logan or somebody and, and cutting their shirt, and all of a sudden I'm suddenly like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I'll get you a new one if you want it. But this man's heart was troubled. Why? Because it was sensitive to God. Now, how did this same man? Only chapters later, in 2 Samuel 11, get to the place where he could commit adultery with a woman, have her husband murdered, and then when Nathan comes to him and tells this parable that is confronting him with his sin, he says, huh, that's terrible. He doesn't admit it at first. We talk about how quick David was to repent. No, he wasn't. How did he get from where he was troubled in his heart by cutting someone's clothes to where he could commit adultery with a woman, have her husband murdered, and then be confronted by a prophet and not be troubled? How did he get to this place? Hardened heart. Hardened heart. Now, look here. Um, see, when someone sins... Now, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 13-14. I, I want to give you one more example. Rehoboam, this, so this would have been David's grandson. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now, Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Namah and Ammonitis. And then did I get verse 14? And he did evil. Now, why did he do evil? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Listen, this is why I honor Brian and the worship team and, and, and these other guys. I, I honor because part of the, the, the duty of worship is to pre- prepare people's hearts to receive the word. Okay, and, and, But notice here, the reason he did evil was because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. When someone sins, it doesn't mean they're not saved. Now, I know we're dealing with the old covenant illustration here. But it doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're dealing with a hardened heart. There's a heart issue. Why? How do I know? Because Jesus would go on and Jesus would say in uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, verse uh, 21 through 23, he lists all these things, all these sins, for from within, out of the where? heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication. Notice, they don't come from Satan. Satan didn't make you do it. He said you had a heart that was set on it, and from that heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, and he goes on and, and lists more. So, when someone sins, it's not that they're not born again, it's that they've allowed their heart to become corrupted, to become hardened, and now they're experiencing that corruption in their life. Alright? Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I want to I show you something here. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Now let me show you how serious this is. Verse 2, so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Verse 3, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Verse 4, then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Verse 5, and when he had looked around at them with what? Okay, I'll skip that one. Being grieved, what was he grieved by? The hardness of their hearts. This is how serious... Now, don't... Listen. Why would he be grieved by the hardness of their hearts? He was trying to minister to their hearts. Think about it. Here he was. He's about to heal this man. And they're not receptive to it because their hearts hardened. Two things that I read in this verse that upset the Lord. One, hardened heart. Two, no response. And you know why they had no response? Because they hardened heart. Because a soft heart, a pliable heart is responsive to God. Can I share something with you? Don't get upset with me. Are you all okay right now? Okay. If you're going through something and you're saying, why is God not telling me what to do? Your heart's hardened. Because God is always communicating and telling you what to do. See, here's the thing about a hardened heart, but if you're born again, here's your advantage compared to an unbeliever. If you're born again, you have that, the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, and it is continuously communicating, trying to send messages to your heart, telling you what to do, where to go, You know all, all these things. Trying to lead you in the path of righteousness. But when your heart is hardened, it's talking. You, you guys have you know, you've heard the phrase, in one ear and out the other. That's, that's the way a hardened heart is to God's, to God's voice. Now, now, let me show you uh, this. So, Mark chapter... Don't go to Mark chapter 6. Let's go to Mark chapter 8, verse 13. Now, in Mark chapter 6, um, Jesus had just performed the miracles of the, the loaves and the fish. And then... Then they get on a boat, a storm comes, and they panic. There's another. like This is immediately, the same day. They went from seeing this miracle to now, just like the children of Israel, he's brought us out here to kill us. Don't he care that we're dying? We're literally about to get killed, and he's down there asleep. And Jesus stands up. He doesn't rebuke them. He rebukes the storm, but then he does turn to them and say this. Why is your heart hardened? And it says their heart was hardened because they considered not, and we're going to get to that here in a minute, the miracle of the loaves and the fish. But look at Mark chapter 8. Now, I looked up in commentaries, and it says that this was only days later at the most. So it could just be in the next day. There's good news for you if what I just said, you think, oh my goodness, I have a hardened heart, here's some good news for you. Mark chapter 8, verse 13. And he left them again, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Verse 15. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread? Verse 17. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Do you not perceive nor understand? Look here. Is your heart... What's that next word? Still hardened? So he just pointed out to them they have hardened hearts just a few verses earlier. And here he is just hours, days later, and he says, Is your heart still hard? Here's the good news you can soften your heart really quickly. How do I know? Because it would have been wrong of him to, to ask them this question if it had not been possible for them, unregenerated, to not soften their heart that quick. Do you see that? Nobody sees that? Come on, guys. I know. I, and listen, I'm not, I'm not bothered by lack of response or anything because, listen, this is a message That causes you to deal with your stuff. And can I tell you something? In pastoring and counseling people, we rarely want to deal with our stuff. It's why we blame everyone else. Okay? Look here. Look here at Mark chapter 4, verse 10. Here's what I want to get to. Alright, so we've talked about all this. Well, okay. How do we influence our heart? That's, that's the important thing. It's not important for me to be like, hey, you might have a hardened heart. What's important is for me to be like, good news. You can influence your heart. It's, like I said, it's not important for you to know what's under the hood. as important as it is, listen, if you're passing me on the road, I don't care if you know what an engine is. I just care that you know how to drive that thing. So, with your heart, it's not as important to me whether or not you... you Know the inner workings of the heart. What's important to me is you learn how to influence your heart. How to write upon it. Mark 4, verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Verse 11. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Can I tell you something, what I believe? It doesn't say mysteries. It says mystery. Can I tell you what I believe the mystery of the kingdom is? It's your heart. Because Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God. He went about, he went about ministering to people's hearts. They come to Jesus and they say, "Tell us when the kingdom of God's going to come. How will we know?" He said, "The kingdom of God doesn't come with word of observation. It's within you. It's in your heart, OK? And he said to them, So to you has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside all things come in parables. Verse 12. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Listen to me. The most important verse is in the Gospels is not John 3.16. The most important verse in the Gospels is Mark 4.13. Why? Because if you do not understand the parable of the sower, the Gospels are a mystery to you. And we go to this stupid stuff like I've taught in the past where well, Jesus went, went around preaching the law. He went around preaching the Old Covenant. There's only one problem with that. Jesus said the law was preached until John. So Jesus didn't minister the law or the Old Covenant. He ministered the kingdom. He ministered to the hearts of people. And, the, and if you struggle to see that, the reason is you don't understand the parable of the sower. You know what the parable of the sower is? It's the parable of the heart. Okay? Are y'all okay? Is this too am I being too Loganish for you this morning? So you know, I have people all the time, they'll, they'll text me, message me, and they'll ask me about a parable. And you know what I always do? I answer them by saying, go study the parable of the sower. And then come back to me and ask me if you have those same questions. Usually, I don't think I've ever had one person come back to me and say, okay, yeah, I figured that out, now I can't figure this one out. Once, it's, like, it's like the decoder, right? You get it, it's just like everything comes alive to you. Verse 14, the sower sows the what? the Word, alright? So the seed is the Word of God. Verse 15, and these are the ones by the wayside where the Word is sown. Now, uh, let's keep reading here. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the Word that is sown in their heart. Sounds a lot like Ananias and Sapphira to me. And notice where the Word is taken out of. Not their born-again spirit, it's taken out of their hearts. Alright? verse. So let, let me say this. So, Your heart is like soil, and the Word of God is seed. Your heart, you want me to tell you what this heart was created for? This. Not just words on a page, but this. And what do I mean by that? That your heart was created for this. Your heart was created for this to be its reality. For this to be its truth. For this to be the seed that is planted in it. But here's the problem. Most of us, what's in our hearts is not the Word of God. For most of us, it's our experiences and what we've been through because we've been through some stuff. We dealt with that uh, months back when I ministered ministered on healing the broken heart. Listen, God intended your heart to have the Word of God sown into it. But the enemy comes and he tries to sow sickness into it, grief into it. Trouble into it, trials into it, abuse into it, rape into it, divorce into it, sin into it. But your heart was created to be the home of the Word of God. These likewise, so here's what he's given he's given four types of hearts. The variable is never the Word. The variable is always the heart. So the first group, they had the word in their heart, but then Satan came immediately and stole it away. Verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. So what is that? A hardened heart. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or tribulation or persecution arises for the word listen the devil is not after you because you're so awesome you are awesome but the devil is after you because he wants the word he does not want the word in your heart because here's why if the word begins to work in your heart No one will be able to convince you of any deception, of any lie, of any identity that is found outside of Christ. Immediately, they stumble. Okay? Verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. So, you can have a thorny heart. They are the ones who hear the word... Can I tell you what I believe? I believe this is where most Christians are. This is the one I find myself struggling with. So they hear the word. They know it's the truth. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word. Your heart only has so much room in it. Your heart cannot, you can't just fill it with the word and then just, well, here's a little fear. Come on now. Listen, in the Hebrew language, I've told you guys this, in the Hebrew language, a heart and a home are the same thing. You only have, I don't know about you all, maybe you all have humongous houses, but there's only so much room in my house. There's only so much room in your heart. All right? It enters in, it chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Verse 20. and these but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word accept it bears fruit, some 30fold, some 60, and some a hundredfold. So God wants you bearing fruit in your life. We, we know that, we believe that, but now he go on, let's go to Mark chapter four. In verse 23, and I want to read this out of the Amplified. Um, It says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, or let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. Verse 24. Now here is how you get things in your heart. And He said to them, Be careful what you are hearing. Now that's from the outside, and that's from the inside. Be careful to the voice you are listening to. Ananias listened to the wrong voice, and it killed him. Because you know something interesting, again, talking about what's there, what's not there? It doesn't say God killed But what it does let us know is him heeding the voice of Satan led to his death. That's what it does say. That's what we do know. So you need to be careful what you are hearing. Listen, have you noticed that drama attracts drama? Fear attracts fear. Depression attracts depression. Anxiety attracts anxiety. Have you noticed we here's. We are created in a way that we want someone we can relate to. So a lot of times your heart will... It, help me not get into things I want to get, Your heart is continually sending out signals. And if you want to go deeper in this, check out quantum physics, and it'll let you know that. But your heart is continually sending out signals, and you will find yourself drawing people to you who you believe are like you. This is why people you know, in churches, like for example, if you consider yourself a faith person, a grace person, man, you will draw yourself to them and if you see something in the Word that contradicts them, a lot of times we will just, we'll just close our eyes. Why? Because we're afraid if we begin believing that and we let them know that suddenly they won't accept us because we want to fit in. So here's what I'm getting at. Be careful what you're hearing. If you're struggling with something, don't draw to yourself people who are just going to sow that same seed in your heart. If you struggle with fear, don't surround yourself with people who are continually going to point out things for you to fear. Listen to things that call you up and call you into the abundant life that Jesus died for you to experience. Now here it is, listen to this, so be careful what you're hearing, listen to this, we're we're coming to a close. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you, and more besides will be given to you who hear. So listen to me. He's saying you, hear, you need to hear the truth. Here's how you influence your heart. This is what I'm getting at. You need to hear the truth. You need to hear the truth. Everywhere I've went this, this fall, especially ministering, I know people have me come in and they think he's going to come he's going to minister to us the love of God, the grace of God. And I ministered the love of God to him but then there's some places I've went and I've preached one simple message. Read your Bible. Because you need to hear the truth. It may come through the, the preached word. It may come through the written word. Listen, there is no excuse for you to not saturate yourself in the word of God. I have an app on my phone. All right, and I, I'll plug it. Joel app. You do have to pay for it, but listen, it's an audio Bible. You can change the voice that's talking. You can put background music on. You can change how fast they're talking, how slow they're speaking. There's. I've had people come to me like, "Well, I would read the Bible, but I can't read." Can you hear? <laughs> like, I mean, we're we're. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. There's no reason for you to not saturate yourself in the Word. Don't begin your day, don't end your day without getting something from the Word painted in your heart. And listen, it might not always be a Bible verse, it might, but it's always the source of it might always be the Bible verse. But only, more than anything, you need to get planted in your heart. On these Thursday nights, we're talking about faith righteousness. You need to get I am the righteousness of God in Christ painted on your heart. You need to get that by His stripes I was healed painted on your heart. You need to get that I am a son, not an orphan, painted on your heart. That I am protected and cherished, painted on your heart. So you need to hear the truth. And here's the thing, guys there's no shortcut to this. And this is the one we tend to skip. He says the only way you get something in your heart is you got to think about it and you got to ponder it. There is no shortcut. And most of us think if. Like, listen, this is what you guys, I know you came out of, and a lot of teaching I was influenced by, I had to change my mind about this. There's this idea out there, if you'll just listen to preaching, and preaching, and preaching, and preaching, and preaching, get the CDs, get the MP3s, if you'll just listen, 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 that's, it'll just start to work. Not if you're not thinking about it. One, if it's not the truth. But then, if it is the truth, if you're not thinking about it, if you're not pondering it, if you are not painting that on your heart through meditation. It will not work. It won't. And listen to me. Listen to me about uh, meditation. I've said this. I shared this with you guys last time. God isn't as opposed to feelings as we are. Did you know, okay, something many of us in here, especially if you dealt with abuse or trauma in your past, that event is written on your heart. And what happened was you had an event that took place. And the emotions and the feelings were so strong in that moment that it wrote a lie upon your heart. And then you think about it and you ponder it and you meditate on it whether you realize it or not. So here's what I'm getting at. Don't think just quoting a verse over and over in your mind is meditation. It's the beginning of meditation. But you need to... Remember Ephesians 1.18 said with the eyes of your heart. Do you know what the eyes of your heart is? It's your imagination. Now listen, I know in church, like in, I know, like when I was teaching, you know, along the lines of Word of Faith and stuff. Like we used to love to say things like, "Well, you know, you need a vision. If you just get a vision," and people's like, "What the heck is a vision?" And we're scared to say imagination because then people think we're new age and cuckoo. No, the enemy took the imagination and corrupted it. Your imagination is a godly thing. You just need to use it and yield it to God and His Word. All right? So you need to, man, get a verse. Imagine it. And don't just see it as being possible, see it as being your present reality. And see that thing until you begin to feel it. See, that's where we lose people. See, you all went quiet when I mentioned feel it. God's not opposed to you having feelings. Alright, you hold that image in your heart until you feel its reality. Until you feel loved, Until you feel healed. Now when I say feel healed, I don't mean the pain's gone. But in your heart you know, suddenly you feel, I am healed. Alright, hold these images in your heart. Let, Let the Word of God invade and take over your imagination. This is meditation. Okay, this is meditation. See, and then let's go to Proverbs 3, verse 3, coming to a close. Last two verses here. So you need to hear the truth. You need to meditate on the truth. Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So notice here, Solomon is comparing your heart to a tablet. All right, now go with me to Psalm 41.1. So he says you need to write on your heart. Well, how do I do that? My heart is overflowing with a good thing. Would you say that's you? My heart is overflowing with a good thing. What is the theme of your heart? You know, just like a birthday party, we like to, for kids, like to have a theme. Well, you can have a, there's a theme of your heart. Now, for some of us, it's negative it's trauma, it's depression, it's fear, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's, you know, on and on. But you can have a good theme, a healed theme, a righteous theme, a sanctified theme, a son theme. I recite my composition concerning the King. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So how do you influence your heart? How do you write upon your heart? You need to hear the truth. You need to meditate, imagine, ponder, think about, feel the truth. And then you need to use your tongue to write that truth upon your heart. Now listen, and I've shared this with you guys. Yes, they're speaking to the mountain. But you know why a lot of people think speaking to the mountain doesn't work? It's because they spoke out of a heart that didn't think the mountain would actually work when they spoke, or move when they spoke. But when you begin to see that mountain moving in your heart, then you begin to speak out of this place not to make something happen, but because you're just speaking the truth. You're just speaking the reality. And that's when the mountain moves. So, you know, positive confession, listen, I'm a big believer in positive confession, but I don't do it to make things happen. I do it because I'm trying to write that on my heart. Man, listen, can I, let me tell you what this looks like for me. Just this morning, in my personal time with God, I was pondering some verses, because we've been dealing with things with our kids, uh, I've been pondering verses on our children, and Isaiah 54 specifically says, great will be the peace of your children. So I've, I've been meditating on that, pondering it. Well, this morning I actually took the time to get along and begin to imagine that truth coming alive in my heart. What does that look like? Just I'm just letting you in. Um, I began to see myself at the tabernacle. And I began to see myself with my kids hand in hand, me walking them through the tabernacle and showing them what this is, what this represents, what this is a type is, and what it's fulfilling. And I led them all the way to the holy place. And I led them all the way back out, outside of the outer court, into the the world. What what was God, what am I writing on my heart in that moment? That I can't control how my kids act. But what I can do is show them the truth. Live the truth in front of them. Be an example of the truth in front of them. And then the day will come when I release them, so to speak, when they're grown. And I just trust that I've showed them the right thing. That I've showed them the truth that I've showed them the way into the Holy of Holies. And do you know what the Holy of Holies is a representation of? Christ dwelling in your heart. So man, find ways to engage your heart. It may look different for everyone in here. For some of us it might come through writing, through singing, you know, different ways. But you need to find a way to engage the truth. There is, you can't get away from meditation. You have, to, you have to hear the truth. In other words, you have to know it. You have to meditate upon it. And then you do need to speak it. For with the heart man believes. See, that's what meditation would do. You'll get that. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Not just the born again experience. That word salvation, soteria, healing. Right, you know, healing and preservation and security rescue, uh, provision, on and on. E- everything you need is in that word soteria. But it comes through a heart that believes. And I put this on Facebook yesterday. There's, there isn't anything more powerful than a heart that believes and a mouth that agrees. But so, we want to influence our heart. We want to write upon our heart so listen, if the stuff I shared early on in this message, you thought, man, that makes me feel bad. That makes me, maybe I do have a hardened heart. Listen, can I tell you, Grant Fraley has pastored you and ministered to you standing up behind this pulpit knowing I've got a hardened heart right now. Now, I'm not talking about this morning. I'm saying there's been times in the past I know I'm standing up here with a hardened heart. I know it. Why? Because I know God. I've had a relationship with Him. I've had fellowship with Him. I know Him like I know my wife. So listen, why, why am I sharing that? Not, I'm just saying, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. Man, we have a heart that can be pliable. See, because just like I shared earlier about the skin, a heart of flesh, if you're just like, just like these guys like Brian and them who have calloused fingers from playing the guitar. If Brian was to suddenly say, you know what? I'm not going to play the guitar no more. What would happen to those calluses? You lose them. They soften back up. So here's, here's all I'm saying. Whatever you've been meditating on, pondering, considering, listening to, speaking, that has hardened your heart, stop. People say, well, how'd that? it's not that easy. No, I understand that there's seasons of attendance. I understand that, but I'm just saying, through the help of the Spirit of God, don't just take my, just don't say, well, he said I got to stop. So I go. No, ask the Spirit of God to help you to get your mind on other things, to listen to other things, to meditate on other things, to speak on other things. And suddenly those ca- that calloused heart will become tender to God once again. I can tell you because I'm here this morning, probably more sensitive and more tender in my heart than I've ever been in my born again walk with Jesus. And that's been almost 20 years. But last year, I was in a place where I knew I was dealing with a hardened heart. But I'm sitting here, standing here this morning, and I'm like, man, like this morning, there's not a doubt in my mind this is what God wanted spoken here this morning. Not a doubt in my mind. If you came up to me and said that didn't mean anything to me, i was like, well, you're at the wrong church this morning. You didn't hear God because He was telling you go somewhere else. I'm joking about that, but... I'm just saying that's how confident I am and how sensitive I am right now to the voice of God. That's not to be braggadocious. That's just me sharing. This is where God wants us. And guess what? Am I saying I'm as sensitive and tender as it gets in my heart to God? No. No. Lord willing, through fellowship with Him, through hearing the truth, meditating upon it, speaking it, Thursday night when we minister, I pray I'm more sensitive then than I am this morning. Tomorrow morning, when I'm home alone with the kids and trouble starts back, I pray I'm more sensitive this week than I was last week. So, Amen. I man, has this blessed you guys today? You were created not just to be born again, but have an experience with God and an encounter with God in your heart. Amen. So, all right. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be here. Lord, I thank you for the truth. I thank you for who we are in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that when we chose to trust in you, that you gave us new hearts, hearts that were sensitive to you, that we're receptive of your voice, receptive to your leading. I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray right now that if there's anything in our hearts that has caused us to become calloused to your voice, calloused to your leading, calloused to your guidance and your direction, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what it is that we have believed and, that, and the truth that replaces that lie. Now, I feel like the Lord is just telling me right now. It, actually, I prayed that, but you don't need to get focused on the lie that you've believed. You just need to hear the truth. What I've often found is that I don't realize the lie I believed until I've already been delivered from it. And then I look back and think, oh, I was believing this lie at that time. So don't get hung up on, well, what lie am I believing? That's not the, no, That get centered upon and focused upon what is the truth that I need to believe in my heart. So Father, I just pray right now that you reveal to them the truth that they've got doubt concerning, that they've got some unbelief concerning, and show them that that is true of them, that that is who they really are, that their reality is found in Christ and in Him alone, Father. Lord, I just pray, I just pray that you lead us and guide us, direct us, give us dreams, give us visions, give us imaginations that will soften our heart. And Lord, I just pray that this week we'll be more sensitive to you than we've ever been, more receptive of you than we've ever been, more led by your Spirit than we've ever been, Father. That's my desire for each individual in here if for Grace Point Church as a whole I thank you for it Lord Lord if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who's sick in body I pray right now that their bodies would experience the healing power of God I release that power over them right now may it cover them and make anything that is wrong make it right in Jesus name the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you, and give you His peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right.